0: Good evening, and welcome again to our Bible study series, Show Us Your Glory. I hope you're not getting tired yet hearing about the glory of God because it seems that everywhere we look in the scriptures, glory is there. Many, many references we studied in the Old Testament, well over 200 uh, references in the Old Testament to the glory of God, probably the same number in the new testament and it just seems to be a key ingredient in the whole gospel the whole economy of god and i've shared it several times now but i'll repeat it the the verse of scripture that really was sort of like the seed that started this whole series for me was one of the first Bible verses I ever learned. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I never paid too much attention to those last three words until recently. The glory of God. Well, what does that have to do with everybody's sin and the redemption of, Of Christ that Paul was trying to talk about. It has everything to do with it. And I don't think we fully understood the gospel message until we really understand why glory is mentioned there. All have sinned. We saw that means to miss the mark. And what is the mark? We've fallen short of the glory of God. So all of God's Redemptive work, sending his son into the world, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, ascending back to heaven, pouring out the Holy Spirit, and birthing this thing we call the church. It all centers around the glory of God. Jesus came, the word of God made flesh, he dwelt among us, and we saw his glory the glory of the one and only begotten of the Father. So, Paul comes along, the other apostles come along, preaching the good news of Christ. Well, what is the gospel called? The glorious gospel. It's the good news of the glory of God. That man, through his faith in Christ, can now be restored to that glory of God that he once had, in the Garden of Eden, and just as sin caused us to fall away from the glory of God, so the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is now restoring us to glory, and just recapping a couple things quickly before we move into new territory tonight, Paul said that we can see the glory of God now in the face of of Jesus Christ. And the ultimate purpose of the good news of the gospel is not just to pardon our sins and help us to escape hell. Thank God it does all of that. But it does much, much more. Paul's gospel was we are now being transformed by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, by the power of God, from glory to glory until we are completely transformed into the likeness of His glorious image. And so, glory is very much a part of the whole gospel message, and we started last week looking at the eternal glory of God that we are called to. And let me just insert here, as I always do, if we have any newcomers or perhaps some that might be joining us later on through the website or whatever, uh, the notes and all of the previous recordings of this series, as with all of our previous Bible studies, are available at our website, which is new-life-ministries.org. You can download any of the notes, any of the recordings for free. We don't charge anything for anything. We have freely received. We believe in freely giving. So please visit the website and see uh, what other resources, recordings, notes are available there. But we are now in part six of this seven part series and in the outline notes, If you're trying to follow along, I'm sorry, but I'm jumping around a little bit. We are somewhere around page 43, 44 of part 6 now, the eternal glory. And we saw last time that the message of the apostles is the God of glory who sent his glorious Son into the world to reflect and to radiate the fullness of God's glory, Jesus told Thomas, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Thomas wanted to see the Father. Jesus said, You have. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the writer of Hebrews explains that a little further by, by saying, the, the radiance of God's glory we have now seen in the person of His Son. And the glory of God we saw is God's love, His power, His wisdom, His faithfulness, His mercy, His grace. It's all that God is reflected and radiating out in this thing we call the glory, the glory of God. It's something visible. It's something that people were touched by in the Old Testament as well as the New, and as we're going to continue to see, it is something very, very real. It's not just some imaginary thing. Jesus, in his prayer to the Father, he said, Father, I've already given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, Furthermore, Father, I am praying for all those who believe in me that they will be with me where I am. And of course, he was going back to be with the Father. Be with me where I am, and it's implied, in heaven, in eternity, and there they will see my glory. The glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. So, Christ in us now, the hope of glory. We have a hope that when this life is finished, when this body has wasted away and falls into the grave, we have a hope that there's a resurrection, there's a rapture, and we will enter into Eternal glory. And so this is a great hope that we looked at in some depth last week, and we're going to continue from there tonight. The, The Christian has a choice, and it's a daily choice. We can look at things around us. Paul says if it's visible, then that means it's temporary. Or, we can look at things that are invisible. Sounds kind of crazy, but we're not really crazy. There's just an unseen world that God helps us to begin to see by faith and through the Holy Spirit. It's a very real world, but it's invisible. If we're looking at the invisible world, Paul says, that's good, because those things that are not seen are eternal. And so, we have a daily choice to fix our eyes on the temporal or fix our eyes on the eternal. Fix our eyes on the physical, the material, what we would normally call the real world, but is it really that real? By faith, And through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we begin to understand there is a world that is far more real. Paul and the other apostles, they talk about heavenly things having substance. These are very real things. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. For the things of this earth are passing. They're like a vapor, like a mist. Here, in the early morning, by the time the sun is rising, it's burned off and evaporated. And so, we have to train ourselves, discipline ourselves now, to fix, focus our eyes, our vision, our worldview on things that are not seen, not on our little problems, not on what Paul referred to as light affliction, which is just for a moment, but is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Remember the word glory in the Old Testament literally means heavy, something with weight, weighty. Well, Paul borrows that here in Second Corinthians 4, when he says, we're not paying too much attention to our present afflictions. They're just for a moment, they're passing away. Our problems, our challenges, they're all going to pass away soon. Don't pay too much mind to them, but understand one thing, they're working for us something else. They're working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's why We fix our eyes on the things that are not seen because they are eternal. And so, as we go through this life, we have persecutions, troubles, challenges, and every day has something new to throw at us. And if you're not careful, it can really knock you down. It can knock the wind out of you. And you want to throw in the towel, you want to quit and say, what's the use? But then the Holy Spirit starts to lift up your eyes again to look beyond the temporal and remember, oh, that's right, this is all passing away. God has called me to eternal glory. And even these present sufferings, they're not worth comparing with the glory that will soon be revealed in us, because He's changing us from glory to glory to the very image and likeness of Jesus Christ. It's only fitting, as we launch into some new territory tonight, that the God of glory, who sent His Son in glory, raised Him from the grave in glory, poured out the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory, to birth a glorious church through the glorious gospel. And we also saw that this New Testament group of people called the church, based on the new covenant, they have a more glorious ministry than Moses had under the old covenant. So, glorious gospel, glorious church, glorious ministry, call to eternal glory through that gospel, it's only fitting that the end of the story comes with the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ again. He came, he left, but when he left, he said, don't worry, I'm coming again. I'm coming in glory, and I'm coming for A glorious church, without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. Glory seems to be in every chapter of the book, every part of the story, from beginning to end. And indeed, the end is the most glorious. Let's continue, if you're following in the notes tonight, on page 45, Again, we are in part six, eternal glory, and this is Roman numeral number two there, Christ's glorious appearing, the rapture. Jesus often spoke about his return. He often spoke about a second coming, when he was going to return again, and in particular, coming again for His church, for his people. And whenever he spoke about that event, he mentioned it would be glorious. It's often referred to as his glorious appearing. Let's look at a couple of uh, references. First of all, in the Gospels, where Jesus himself spoke about this event Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. This is obviously not referring to His first coming when He came humbly born as a baby in the manger of Bethlehem, became one of us, a mortal, so that he could die a cruel death on the cross and then be raised up in glory. He's not talking about that coming. He's talking about a second coming when he comes in his Father's glory. Now, if I were God, and thank God I'm not God, but if I were God, I think the first time around, I would have had my son come in all of his glory. Come with flaming fire and power and myriads of angels around him and destroy sin and sickness and all of his enemies. But that's not how God did it. First time around, Jesus came as a baby. What an amazing God we serve. Who would have ever thought of such a story It's so incredible. No human being could have ever made up such a story. One songwriter, I think, got it right. No fiction so fantastic and wild as this story. A mother made by her own child. The Word of God becoming flesh, dwelling among us initially as a helpless, harmless little babe in. Bethlehem. What an amazing story. He emptied himself of all of his glory, humbled himself even to the point of death, going to the cross with our sins, bearing all of our sicknesses, becoming one of us so that he could bear in his body the full penalty for all of our sins, take all the cancers, all the AIDS, all the diseases of mankind in his body, thus becoming our healer, our redeemer, our savior. That's the way he came the first time around. Second time, he is coming the way I described, in the full glory of God, with blazing fire, with myriads of angels. He will come in his Father's glory with his angels. That's the way he's coming the second time. Look in Matthew 24 and verse 30. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky, here it comes, with power and great glory. Hallelujah to the Lamb. He's coming with great power and great glory. And notice, I don't want to get too involved in last day's eschatology and all of the details, but in this particular event that is described here, all of the nations of the earth are going to see this sign in the sky. This is different from the rapture. Rapture is secret. Only those looking for him will even know that he has come. The rest of the people will know later on. But in this event, which actually takes place later on, every human being on the face of the earth is going to look up, and they're not clapping and cheering. They're mourning, because they know Uh Uh-oh, we're in trouble now. We have refused to repent. We have refused to embrace his gracious offer of salvation and forgiveness. And now judgment is about to fall. But even then, notice how the Son of Man comes with power and great glory. Matthew 25, verse 31 When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. Nothing about His appearing is ordinary. It will be glorious when He appears. Matthew 19 and verse 28. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne. Whoa, wait a minute. What kind of a throne? Glorious throne. What did we read in the previous verse? He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. Hallelujah. Heavenly glory. A glorious throne for the Son of Man. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Oh, what a glory awaits us. What a glorious throne he will share with his bride. He is enthroned in glory. He sits in glory. He's coming in glory. He is the glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. And my friends, He is coming soon. Look at the news. Look at the state of the world. It's all shouting to us now. The Lamb of God is coming soon, and He will not delay much longer. Get ready. The Spirit and the Bride are saying, Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come quickly, Lord. He will come in great glory. Whenever Paul, Peter, John, whenever the Apostles wrote about Christ's second coming, They described it as something glorious. In Titus 2, verse 13, Paul says the following, while we wait, we are waiting. Right now, the Christian is waiting for something. We don't have it yet. That's why it's called a hope. If you already have it, and you're not hoping for it. We talked about that last week. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're looking forward to something that we don't fully possess yet. We're looking forward to the eternal glory of God, and we're looking forward to this glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Let me read it again. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wouldn't put a whole lot of hope in anything else right now. If you're hoping in Wall Street, be careful. If you're hoping in the next election, whether you're rooting for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, I wouldn't get your hopes up too high because they're flesh, and they will fail. I wouldn't put a whole lot of hope in some kind of a social movement, uh, political movements, activists and protests and marches and all that. They come and they go. But hallelujah to the Lamb. I feel the power of God tonight. I am waiting for Jesus to split the sky and to come in all of his glory. What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? What is it that keeps you going day after day? Is it the hope that the Republicans are going to bring salvation to the U.S. of A.? Huh. I wouldn't bank on it. Are you hoping that Hillary Clinton and the Democrats will be our salvation for the next four years? Man, I wouldn't bank on that one. Are you hoping and waiting and longing for the kingdom of God and for the king of that kingdom, his name is Jesus of Nazareth, to usher in that glorious kingdom? That, my friends, is not an empty hope. Paul says, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In another place, Paul writes to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 is where he says, don't set your affection on things of this earth. It'll fail you. Don't set your hopes and dreams on earthly stuff. It's all going to fade away. He said, set your affection on things above, where Christ is seated. And then he says this, for when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Talking about the same thing, He just wrote about to Titus, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You know, let me pause here for just a second. People often ask me, Pastor, who's going in the rapture? That's a good question. There have been books written about it. All kinds of different positions. All kinds of different camps. This one believes this group will go. This one believes that group will go. This one believes in a pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, after the trib rapture, uh, before, during, after the millennium. There is no millennium. There are a whole hodgepodge of positions. But you know, after 42 years of studying the Scriptures and preaching this stuff, I've come to a very simple position. My answer to that question, who's going in the rapture, is right here in this verse we just read. If Christ is your life, then you're going. Oh, come on, Pastor, that's too simple. Yeah, it is that simple. That's what Paul says. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. And if you can honestly and sincerely and genuinely say, I've come to a place now where Christ is my life. That's different from I'm trying to live for Christ or I like Jesus, or I try to go to church, or I asked Jesus into my heart 25 years ago, that's a little different from saying Christ is my life. I don't have any other life now. In another place, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ in me is the hope of glory now. I have no other hope. I have no other life. Christ is my life. Those are the people that are going up with with no holds barred, no questions asked. Those are the ones going in the rapture. So Paul says... When Christ appears, and parenthetically, by the way, if he's your life, you also will be appearing with him in glory. You know, the Christian life, I look at it as an exchange. And boy, we get the good end of the deal. We trade in a beat-up old car, the tires are all worn out, half of them are flat, the radiator's busted, all the fenders are falling off, the whole car's rusted, the engine smokes and fumes and putt-putts along, the car's just a piece of junk. And we're going to trade this thing in on a brand new Mercedes. Brand new car. That's what happens in salvation. We trade in our old beat-up jalopy of a life, full of sin, sickness, darkness, and confusion, and we become new creations in Christ. We trade in our old life, it's crucified anyway, on the cross with Christ, and Christ comes to dwell in us by faith. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, we become temples of the Holy Spirit, and the Father comes to live in us. So the triune God now takes up residence in this shell that we call our body, and there's a great exchange that has taken place. I no longer live. Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. Glory. In Revelation 19, which of course is the final book on end times things, Revelation 19, let's read verse 1 and then verse 7. After this, I, and of course John is the writer here, after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation! and glory and power belong to our God. Verse 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For, now you know I'm going to do this, for is there for a reason. The conjunction for ties what we're about to hear to the previous statements. For, why all this rejoicing? Why all this roar in heaven? What's all the excitement about? For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The marriage of the Lamb takes place at the time of the rapture. He's coming in glory. It's a glorious appearing. And He's coming for a glorious church. And when He comes, we will appear with Him in glory. We will be wed to the Lamb. He's full of glory. We are now in glory with Him you talk about a glorious wedding, my goodness, there's never been a wedding like that one. All of heaven will be shouting and singing and rejoicing because for the ages, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, even the Son himself, and all of the angels and all of the saints from previous dispensations, they are all waiting for this final crowning moment. The wedding of the Lamb with his bride. That's why later on in the last chapter of the Bible, it says in Revelation 22 17, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. The Holy Spirit is anxiously wanting Jesus to come. The bride is anxiously waiting for the groom to come in his glory. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, again it refers to his coming as a glorious event, 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 10 to 13, on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled out among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of his calling. Remember, his calling is to be the bride of Christ. His calling is to eternal glory. We constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. It's one thing to be called. It's another thing to be counted worthy of that calling. And that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the setting for all this? Back to verse 10. On the day he comes. So this is all talking about what happens when he comes back. He comes back to be glorified in his people and that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, in his people. Now, let's move on to another aspect here. So, Christ has called us to eternal glory. He's coming in glory. We will appear with him in glory when he comes. We will see that glory when he comes. And there's a bit more that we need to look at now in the scriptures, it speaks about the state that we will find ourselves in upon His return. We will be changed. We will be transformed. We're being changed now, little by little, from glory to glory, but there will be an instantaneous transformation in that moment when he comes and we are resurrected, particularly our bodies, we will see, are going to be transformed into glorious bodies. This section we want to talk about the glorified state of believers upon his return. When we enter into this eternal glory, we're not just going to be sitting there in our present bodies, in our present state. We are going to be transformed to enjoy that eternal glory. There'll be no more sickness, no more weakness, no more corruption, no more death. Our bodies will be completely different in that state. Let's begin in the Gospels, Mark chapter 10. Very interesting exchange that takes place here. Mark chapter 10, from verse 35 to 40. Mark 10, 35 to 40. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. They came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) I like that. They're just hanging out one day. I don't know where they were, walking along the Galilee or something. And James and John, they're known as the sons of thunder. They come along and they say, Master, we got something on our mind here. Will you do for us Whatever we ask. Now, Jesus was very careful. He didn't say, sure, boys, what is it? He wants a little bit more information here before he answers them. What do you want me to do for you? (laughs) Very careful. Clarify what you guys want. What do you want me to do for you? well, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now stop right there. Where did they get that from? Well, they had heard him talking about his throne of glory, coming in glory, sitting on a glorious throne. He had spoken openly about these things. So they've now been hearing this, and they're like, man, we want to get close to this. We want to be in on this. Sit one of us at your right, and the other one at your left. That's what we want. Let one of us sit at your right, and the other at your left. Verse 38. You don't know what you are asking Jesus said. Let's pause again. Just a little side note here. I think fairly often we are praying and asking for things and we don't even understand what we're asking. (laughs) Be careful. You might just hear this whisper come back to you through your prayer time. You don't know what you're asking. You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't know. You don't know. You don't have enough information yet. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He's about to teach them a very important lesson. Very important principle. Suffering first, then glory. Can you drink the cup I'm about to drink of, my cup of suffering, my cup of sorrow, my cup of tears, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? They should have probably thought this through a little bit more, but they answer immediately, we can't. We can, they answered Jesus. Well, Jesus said to them, okay, I'm paraphrasing. You will drink the cup I drink. History bears that one out. They all died as martyrs. were not totally sure what happened to John. We do know that, according to the records, they tried to kill him. The emperor of Rome tried to have him boiled in oil. He wouldn't cook, so that's when he was exiled to Patmos. He may have just languished and died there. Uh, We're not sure. But most of the others that Jesus is talking to, um, they died violent deaths. James, we do know how he ended. Can you drink the cup I drink? Sure, Lord, we can. Okay, you will. You will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But, nevertheless, to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. So, Jesus uses this as a teaching moment, but at the same time he wants to clarify, this is out of my realm. This is not a prayer for me to answer. I can't grant you this. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Matthew's gospel adds the words, by my Father. So, Let's understand a couple of things here. There are places in glory. Jesus said, I can't grant them to you right now, to sit at my right and my left in glory. That's that's outside of my realm. But there are places in glory. They've already been prepared. These places belong to those for for whom they have been prepared by my Father. So only the Father will determine these places in eternity in glory. But Jesus did not respond and say, Oh, you guys are crazy. There are no special places in glory. There are. There are. It's just not for me to promise that to you now because it will be the Father who determines that. Look in Hebrews, a scripture we've studied already earlier in this series, but it's good to come back to now. Hebrews 2, verses 7 to 11. You made him that's Jesus, a little lower than the angels. You crowned him, here it comes, with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, We do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with, here it comes again, glory. Crowned with glory and honor. We already learned he sits in a throne of glory. He's coming in glory. He's full of glory. He's crowned with glory. Why? Because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Okay? In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. But the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now, let's go back here. Because Jesus totally surrendered to the will of his Father, went all the way to the cross, stopped at nothing short of total obedience to the Father, emptied himself, humbled himself, went all the way to the cross, tasted death for everyone. Now, God has exalted him, not just raised him from the dead, but exalted him to his right hand and, adds here, crowned him with glory. So he's seated on a throne of glory. He's crowned with glory. He's about to appear in glory, but because of his death on the cross and his resurrection, He's now doing something in the earth. He's bringing many sons to glory. Pay close attention to every word there in verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory. Where does Jesus want to take us? Where does Jesus want to take you? Where is Jesus taking me? Here's the answer to the question. He wants to take us to glory. That's his whole mission. Not just to save us from hell. Thank God he does. Not just to pardon our sins. Thank God he does. But his mission is to bring many sons to glory. His mission isn't complete until he's brought us to glory. Hallelujah. He will not rest until that final detail is complete. He brought us to glory. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Notice again, suffering first, then glory. But the one who makes men holy, you see, part of bringing sons to glory is to make them holy. We can't be a glorious church and be full of spots, blemishes, wrinkles, defilement, and all the filth of the world. Can't be. We learned that in Ephesians 5. Jesus gave himself so that he can present the Bride of Christ, the Church, to Himself, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, a glorious Church, washed with the water of His Word, bought, redeemed, and cleansed in the blood of the cross. So, you can't sort of pick and choose here. Oh yeah, I want to go to glory, but I don't really like this holiness stuff. Well, those are the only ones that are going to glory. He's bringing many sons to glory and the ones he's bringing there, he makes holy. The one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. So yes, we all become sons and daughters of God. God is our Father. We've been born of God. We've exchanged our old sinful nature. We now have the new man, Christ in us the hope of glory, the the new man, Paul says, is formed in true righteousness and holiness. So yes, we're sons of God, we're daughters of God, we're on our way to glory, and he's made us holy. His family is holy. I don't know why Christians still fight against holiness. Oh, you're one of them holiness preachers. Amen. He says, they need to be holy as I am holy. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Why are we fighting against holiness? Let God sanctify us. Let him burn out all the sin, all the dross all the filthiness and perversion and defilement that's in the church. Make the church holy. Cast off every sin. Cast off every weight. And let's become holy like He is holy. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit sanctify us. Let the water of His Word wash us and flush out every spot, wrinkle, and blemish. And yes, let the blood of Jesus make us whiter, Than snow. He's coming for a holy church. He's coming for his brothers and sisters also. He's not ashamed to call this group brothers, sisters. Why? Because we've surrendered to the plan of God. What's the plan of God? To bring many to glory. To bring many to glory. I don't like to do it, but I'm going to have to stop there tonight because the next little section is something I don't want to have to hurry through. I'll just introduce it. When we are caught up at the coming of the Lord or when we are resurrected, our bodies are going to be instantly transformed. We will be raised in glory. Our body will then be a glorious body. The the gospel of glory will not be complete until this final phase is complete. We're caught up in his glorious appearing and we are resurrected, our body is transformed in an instant from weakness to power, from dishonor to glory, and then we will have a body just like his glorious body. More about that next time, but we'll close here, and hopefully one more session we can complete part six, And then we have just one more part remaining, part seven, in which we're going to talk about living now for His glory. Oh God, show us Your glory. Help us to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, fill our churches with glory. Bring such an anointing upon your ministers, upon your servants. Make it a surpassingly glorious ministry, as Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians 3. Lord, fill us with your glory now, as the earth and the world sinks into deeper and darker depravity, perversion, filthiness, lawlessness, coming under the spell of the Antichrist spirit. Lord, fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah. Let the church rise and shine, for the glory of God has come. The glory of the Lord is rising upon us. Pour out your spirit, the spirit of glory, in these last days. Fill us with your power. Manifest the gifts of the Spirit. Manifest your glory and power in the churches. Let it not be about man's wisdom, but let it be about a demonstration of the Spirit with power. Lord, this is not man's hour. This is the Holy Spirit's hour. Pour out your Spirit on all flesh. Bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Cause hearts to be cut, to be convicted that they would be humbled in the glorious presence of Almighty God, and there would be a turning back to you. Oh God, bring repentance, bring true humility, bring the glory of God into the church in these last moments of time. And yes, Lord, let us understand that We are now waiting, we're waiting for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Come quickly, Lord, put on the final finishing touches as you're preparing your bride for that day. God, we humble ourselves, we surrender to the Spirit of God, to the purpose of God, to the Word of God tonight. Cleanse us, wash us, sanctify us, remove every spot, every wrinkle, and every blemish, and bring us, your sons and daughters, bring us to glory. Father, we thank you that you've given us great hope. You've given us great hope. Christ in us the hope of glory. God bless each and every one listening to this study tonight. Let your word be engrafted into our hearts, minds, and spirits. And Lord, let us continually meditate on your word as we look up, as we set our affection on things above, and as we prepare for the great escape To be caught up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. To be changed in a moment from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power. Father, we bless you for this glorious gospel, this glorious good news. Keep us, watch over us, strengthen us, help us to finish our race with joy. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.